My name is Tammy. Oh, Angela. 2018, Tammy Carpenter got the phone call that no mother would ever want to receive. Her daughter, Angela, had been killed. It was a devastating call that changed Tammy's life forever. Today, we'll be talking about yet another Indigenous woman gone too soon. This is the story of Angela McConnell. So, as Chelsea mentioned, we'll be talking about Angela McConnell. And she was a member of the Hoopa tribe and was also of the Mojave, Yurok, and Kuruk descent as well. And she was only 26 years old with so many dreams ahead of her, including being a journalist or maybe even a nurse. And, you know, that kind of resonates with me because I really enjoy writing and reading. And so um, just already, you know, I can tell that me and Angela are kind of like twin spirits. Uh, But she loved holidays, like literally every single holiday. And she would buy her mama gifts, even on small holidays like St. Patrick's Day. But Christmas was definitely her favorite since she was a December baby. And her birthday was just a few days before Christmas on December the 20th. And here is her mama, Tammy, describing her daughter. Very, very loving, caring, giving, helpful to their family. (laughs) She's funny too, silly. You know, she had a good sense of humor. I, I like to tease her. She was getting mad at mama. So, so the difference between her and my son is that she always regarded how old she was. You know, in her late 20s, she always called me mama. Versus my son, Richie, he calls me mom. Even to this day, mom. Mm-hmm. But uh, I miss that mama because I miss that mama. She always called me mama. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just, you know, she loved her family dearly. Yeah, dearly, dearly. Um, especially her little brother. Richie, to the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful smiles. I just thought it was so cute how she said that her daughter always called her mama. You know, they're in California where I guess it isn't as typical, but I know for me and you, Brittany, most people where we're from, they still say mama. You know, I definitely call my mama mama. Yeah, I definitely still say mama too. I, I have, I don't think I've ever called my mama mom, so... I do say mother when I'm trying to, you know, just be annoying and pretentious to her. (laughs) Me too. Or sometimes I'll call both my parents parental units. (laughs) So here is Tammy also describing Angela's love for reading and writing. She liked to do writing, and that's what I think I was going to emphasize on her a little bit, that she loved reading books, and she's been little. I mean, books upon books, she'll get from the local library to online books. You know, she purchased them in store. Um, She loved writing poems. She always wrote me poems for my birthdays, you know, Mother's Days, um, Valentine's Day. You know, she did a lot of drawings and um, pictures and stuff that, you know, she had. She created for her mother, me, Mama. Um, but her ultimate uh, goals in life was that she wanted to do journalism. She wanted to write. She said she'd like to write some poem books and some maybe little short story books. But she wanted journalism. But she said, I go, well, you know, I, and she said, well, I think I want to become a nurse, Mom. She said, what do you think? I said, oh, go ahead. Because, like I said before previously, that she was loving and she was caring and giving. She liked to help people, you know, like to be helpful. And Brittany, just like you said, so much of how her mama described her just reminded me of you because I really think you're a great writer and I know that you love to read like I do. Yeah, I think me and Angela could have gotten along really well because I love to spend time in libraries and bookstores and, you know, so I just enjoy hearing more about her. But uh, Angela was also very extremely proud to be an Indigenous woman, (laughs) just like me and Chelsea are. 
and she was always proud of, um, you know, proud of her um, her uh, being, um, you know, a Native American, an indigenous woman. So she was always proud of that. She always like, you know, was always on the forefront, you know, for um, Native American or indigenous women's, you know, rights and stuff like that. So she was always um, on that, Angela. So Angela definitely sounds like a woman after our own heart, and we're so thankful for her mama, Tammy, for sharing those memories about her. And it's just so crazy to think about how many Indigenous women have dreams and hopes, and then it's all taken away from them in such violent ways. It truly is, and with that, we'll kind of get into the story of Angela. So it starts in September 2018. Tammy got the call, like we said, that's every parent's worst fear. Her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend, Michael Bingham, had been in a transient camp near Shasta Lake, California, just north of Redding. The two of them had been found in the camp, shot to death in what appeared to be a double homicide. And I just, um, again, just reflecting on her mama's perspective, I honestly cannot imagine, you know, getting that kind of phone call. I don't even know, you know, what I would do in that situation. Right, and I know Tammy said that she was at work at another reservation that was not Hoopa where she lived, so it was a reservation closer to the coast, and she said all she could think to do was just get home to Hoopa and get to her son, Richie, who was her only other child, and he was only 17 at the time, so her boss actually even drove her home because you could imagine she was in no shape to drive. Right, and then so once Tammy got back to Hoopa from work, Tammy gathered her family and told them what she had learned that Angela had been found dead and that they needed to get to her immediately. So her family all packed together and drove together to Redding to find Angela and bring her home. Now, Redding was about two and a half hours away from their town, and here is Tammy describing it. Um, it's an executive director, and I had NBC had interviewed me, and they were doing a piece on racials, you know, racial, um, you know, kind of like stuff that indigenous women get murdered. So I had to tell you know, the NBC guy about my story and it's on the blog on my wall, you know, on the wall that after justice for Angela, but, um, they were like kind of stereotyping and all like, Oh, you know, um, why, well, why was she was living where she was? And did you know your daughter was on drugs and da 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 da? you know, the detective, uh, Justin, um, not Justin, but it was uh, Jerry Mullen at the time of the detective, but he was just very kind of rude. And I had to, of course, I, you know, I had to come out of my, myself and I had to tell him, I don't know who you're talking to. I said, I'm, um, you know, do you know where we were all were when, when I heard about my daughter's uh, being murdered and killed? I said, we were all at work. And I think in so many of these cases that we have to remember that racism still exists and it permeates our law enforcement and our judicial system so heavily. And also, Tammy described it um, as permeating towns and cities and creating a culture of hostility towards certain groups and definitely towards indigenous people for sure. And yeah, I can just think of the many small towns along the way where it's just so prevalent still, just whole groups of folks that are just discriminated against for no reason. And I couldn't help but feel angry and just flabbergasted when Tammy was recounting the treatment of her family that night in Reading when they were just trying to identify Angela and bring her home. She said that the sheriff's department used Facebook to identify her body, which I thought was really strange, but I guess kind of a plausible thing to do, you know, before ultimately running her prints and figuring out who she was. Yeah, I do think it's a bit strange as well, but I guess with uh, advancing technology and with social media and people having so many different pictures, maybe it would be a more commonly done thing. Um, But I also think that this next part of Tammy's story is really interesting. So as mentioned before, Tammy received a phone call about Angela's murder, and it wasn't from the sheriff's department or the coroner's office. 
the family actually found out Angela was dead from Michael Bingham's sister, who, as we mentioned, was Angela's boyfriend and was also murdered alongside Angela. And here is Tammy again describing the situation. They could really find pictures and photos of Angela. So I can see something. And they, of course, the lady wrote back and said, you know, we're at Christmas time. Sorry. In fact, the investigation going on. You know, we can't give you, let you have the photos. I'm just like, really? What am I going to do with them? You know, what am I going to do with the photos? You know, put them on, put them on the Internet. I don't think so. I just wanted it for my, for my privacy and me to have a little bit closure for Angela. Just not for me, but for my older sisters also. We don't have no closure, so yeah. we have a hard time with that. I know I've said it before, but it is so crazy to think about the way we see investigators handle these crimes against Indigenous peoples. Although Tammy said that at the beginning, her initial investigator, Jerry, did say he was following up with leads and was checking into things, um, he never really called her with updates at all. And so remember, this case took place in, or murder took place in September of 2018. But by early 2019, Jerry was gone off of her case. And, you know, she since has had two more detectives on the case without a single viable lead or any real meaningful updates for the family. It has been two and a half years since Angela's death, and they have had three investigators to deal with. Tammy said she has even gone and given so many tips and leads to look into, but they still have not heard anything. And, you know, they've even sent in written complaints to the sheriff's office for not looking more into her daughter's case. And this just reminds me so much of our last episode. So with Lauren Holmes and her mom and her family not getting any kind of calls or updates from the sheriff's department, um, even though, you know, the crime is, is pretty gruesome. I mean, this is obviously a homicide. And also it's in a transient camp where I'm assuming lots of people are living kind of in close proximity to each other. So definitely somebody had to see something. And then just getting into the motive for the case, I just wonder, like, was there any reason that someone would have wanted to harm Angela or her boyfriend or anything that you could find out from Tammy? No, and, you know, I think there are some interesting factors at play here. So one, you know, the fact that they were living in this transient camp. And, you know, for those that aren't aware of what these camps are, you know, they're really common, especially in the Western United States. A lot of times uh, they're camps that are filled mostly with men, um, especially who are doing work in either logging or some other industry that is kind of on the outskirts of towns. It could be logging, oil, or any kind of quarry work. You know, it really just depends. And some of the camps could be, you know, just groups of tents, groups of trailers. You know, it really varies from place to place. And I know Brittany and I were talking earlier and we're saying that a lot of camps actually, um, you know, could be near um, indigenous reservations, which is really interesting to think about and how, you know, the men, which are predominantly, you know, who are at these camps, you know, could oftentimes create situations of violence. And because they are moving from place to place, it could be really easy um, for them to kind of get away with things because it's really hard to track these people. And so, you know, with Angela living here, you could see how she could be more prone and open to, um, you know, violence. And if anybody's ever watched the movie, I think it's on Netflix, it's called Wind River. I think that is kind of an example of a transient camp because it's a group of men who are traveling from town to town working on, I believe, oil rigs. And they live in these trailers. And then indigenous women start um, being murdered by the men who are in the camps because they're moving all the time. And so um, they're able to evade authorities in that way because there's really no um, system kind of checking these men or, or, or finding out where they go after they leave. 
Yeah, and I think, so one of the other interesting things here that Tammy said was that Angela was actually a victim of domestic violence. So her family didn't actually approve of the way Michael treated Angela at all. And they even had a restraining order against him. So the family didn't have much to do with Michael or Michael's family for that matter. So as a reminder of just building off of that, four in five Native women will experience violence in their lifetime. And I think 67% of that violence comes from non-Indigenous men. So, you know, we're talking about other ethnic groups here. So Michael was white. Um, and, you know, so, she, you know, Angela, it's sad to say, just falls into these statistics and it's just staggering and gut-wrenching and you know we had Tammy kind of speak a little bit about their relationship so here she is now what in his early 30s at the time he's like oh I know this I know that you know and I'm like I'm like 40 plus here you know don't, don't tell me that I know right or wrong but he was very you know never very respectful um I just didn't care for him at all I didn't care for his family and so I think in a lot of uh, domestic violence situations, um, you know, the violence that is enacted against women or against people in general is not just always uh, physical. And so, you know, Michael's obviously committing physical violence against, Tam against Tammy, but his one of his main motivators is making sure he keeps her separated from her family. And as we know, in our own indigenous communities, if you're indigenous out there listening, your family is your life source and your family is one of the most important things in your life. And so separating you from that part of yourself is almost like a death in and of itself. And so I think that that is a, a very powerful way that um, um, that men uh, or, or people s uh, commit domestic violence in situations is that separation because then you have nobody to turn to when you need help. So I think one of the most interesting things that we found in this case also is that Angela and Michael were actually found by Michael's father. So during the interview with Tammy, we learned that Michael's father actually had an altercation with his son and there was a lot of tension in their family. Although Tammy said she had no contact with their family now and didn't have a relationship while Angela was alive. And it's also interesting to, to think because Angela had been dating Michael for over six years. So from the time she was 19 until her death. And so even though they had been together so long, Tammy, her mom, had no contact with um, Michael's family uh, at the time of the death and then, um, and then didn't have a relationship either with them while Angela was alive. So here's Tammy recounting a story that she heard about the altercation with Michael's father. It's like, oh, I go, who found him? You know, that's why I asked the sister when she called me and said that, you know, that dad, you know, her father, her father, she thought dad had found them, you know, found both of them. That's, that's why I can, then I go, then you go to horseback riding and then now they're dead. You know, she's dead, my daughter, or they're both dead, you know, but um, it's just, it's just a strange, you know, it's just strange. Yeah, there definitely seemed to be some tension there. And I think it's kind of really fishy that his dad would pull a gun on them. And then one week later, he's the one to supposedly find them dead from gunshot wounds. Because, it, you know, she says that he was just in the woods checking on them. Which, you know, I don't know what kind of father, you know, Michael's dad was. But, you know, if there was some kind of altercation, it was kind of weird to me that he was just in the woods checking on them but I mean maybe that was normal it's, it's just something that we really don't know and Tammy mentioned how she didn't want to sugarcoat things but Michael was heavily involved in drugs um, so I could see how it could have been an issue with drugs like maybe owing someone some money like and he couldn't pay or perhaps Michael had stole money or other things 
for drugs like from his family or you know just someone out there who just was seeking revenge on the two of them it's so unclear yeah and i just feel like with this case there's just so many unanswered questions like all the things that you were just saying definitely and there's little information on the investigation like online i did read in one of the news articles about this case that from the beginning there were issues with the investigation so apparently you know as we said they lived in a transient camp out in you know the woods and it said that the crime scene at the camp where they were found was never roped off so anyone could easily like come through the area tamper with the scene like all of their things were left out there until they went to collect it like the family went to collect it like so i mean it was just really messy and that just makes no sense, especially with the, the nature of transient camps and how they're set up. Like, mo- I would assume, you know, most of the these like tents that they're living in are kind of in close proximity to each other again. And so you would think that this would be the main kind of place where you would want to rope off a scene to prevent tampering of the evidence. So, but it, it's also, you know, kind of nice to know that at least Angela's case did make local news because this was a double homicide. And so there was some media coverage in Humboldt and Shasta County. And because of that media coverage, someone anonymously donated $15,000 for a reward for anyone with information about Angela's murder. And Tammy was actually able to go to the Hoopa Tribal Council and get them to match the reward. So currently there is a $30,000 reward for anyone with information about the murder of Angela. And for me, interviewing Tammy, I just heard so many parallels that we've covered in cases in our tribal territory, Brittany, like you just mentioned with Lauren Holmes. And I also thought about Jack Locklear's case and how, you know, his crime scene really was kind of open to be tampered with. And just you could tell that there wasn't a thorough job of collecting evidence. And just there's so many feelings of hopelessness and just exhaustion from not hearing anything from authorities. And just for all the families that we've talked to, just bearing the weight of that family member's death. And Tammy repeatedly said during our interview that she's her daughter's voice. And it's so true in all of these cases. You know, when I had to interview Lauren's family, how, you know, her cousin Stephanie is now Lauren's voice. You know, it's it's just really sad that the family's left to carry on and be the voice and it can be emotionally taxing, especially when looking at missing and murder indigenous um, statistics. So in California, you know, cases involving indigenous women are seven times less likely to be solved than any other ethnicity or nationality. I mean, and I would like to say that that number shocks me. Um, but, you know, just just unfortunately uh, in doing this kind of work on our podcast and, and, and just being indigenous people in general, it just doesn't it doesn't shock me. But I think it should shock. I don't know, non-indigenous people, I guess. I mean, this is just a tragedy. And it's just, again, like most of the cases that we're covering are in North Carolina and, and a significant number of our cases are happening in Robinson County, North Carolina specifically, but this is all the way across the nation in California and kind of the same barriers to solving the cases of native women here in North Carolina are still the same exact one. It's same exact things happening in California. And so, you know, this is obviously indicative of a larger problem in our American society well, when it comes to the murders of indigenous people and specifically indigenous women. So I'm just, I don't know. It's just, it's just sad. Right. Um, and it's also, you know, uh, 
when you realize that California has the highest indigenous population in the country with over 700,000 indigenous people living on reservations in an urban area. So you would think that California would at least be a little bit ahead of the curve or a little bit better uh, compared to other states, but it's just unfortunate. Right. I would think so too, but another stat that I read said that only 9% of murders of indigenous women in California are solved and that just like tears my nerves up like nine percent that I mean it kind of I feel like almost gives people who do these kinds of crimes like all the more reason to do it because according to this stat you have a 91 percent chance of getting away with it oh my god yeah I did I actually did not know that stat so that's just that that just makes it so much worse wow 91 percent chance of getting away with the murder of an indigenous woman in California. And I bet you that stat is probably pretty generalizable to other states as well. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's probably even higher, as we mentioned before, because once again, indigenous people have a hard time being classified in these cases or are misclassified as another race or another ethnic group. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And then um, just before we end this episode, we would actually like to share a poem with you that Angela wrote. So here is Tammy once again. Music is, music is my sweet life. Together as one is all others. Until the Lord calls me home, may I always be in his good graces. So it may be the best years always, the never any story of Angel of Ange. So I, I just I just love to hear her mom's voice and hear her reading that poem. I think that that's just, those are such powerful words, and I'm just so glad that you know she still has at least that of her daughter. And we encourage all of you to share our social media posts about Angela in support of her mother, Tammy. And if you have any information about the murder of Angela McConnell, please reach out. Tammy has asked if you would please support her on the Justice for Angela McConnell Facebook page. There, you can share her posts, and she has numbers for the Shasta County Sheriff's Department. She needs more help with legal representation as a mother and as an Indigenous woman. So if there's anyone who could support her or provide resources, please reach out to us so we can connect you with Tammy. Thank you so much for listening.